Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, thank you to all who came out for our Freedom Summit on Saturday. Good time, uh, good speakers. We had your Brandon Brandon Tatum's, your Larry Elders. Uh, Jenna Ellis was in the morning. Uh, I did a, a media stuff. rumble roundtable with uh, Scott Shelley, Scott the Cow Guy, Jimmy Rio from Fox Business, and um, uh, Tom Fortino from Alpha Wealth. Uh, you, you here on the station as well. That was a really good discussion about uh, all matters economic, both macro and micro, the intersection between uh, the discussion of these issues and the media reporting of these issues in places like Fox Business and CNBC. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, Very good. I loved it. And where have, uh, and I didn't do any of those things, <laughs> but I introduced Jenna Ellis, and then uh, we're having an event that we're going to announce later. It's called uh, Amy Without Dan. <laughs> it's going to be on December 8th. Oh. We came up with a new name after the Freedom Summit. Our friend Patrick uh, Connor came up with that and said, you should be called Amy Without Dan. Amy Unplugged. Amy Unplugged, yeah. Yeah, Amy Solo. Yes. Yeah, you're a solo act. Right. Yeah. You no, well, it's going to be a bunch of ladies talking. It's like I'm when sure you um, want to be there. Like when Beyonce left Destiny's Child. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, all right. So yeah, thanks so much for coming out. And um, Larry Elder missed it. You know, he made a big announcement. He's going to run for president. Probably he's going to officially announce it in February. But that's what he was alluding to at Freedom Summit. Oh, that's right. Did you stay for his? I had to jet. Yeah, that um, was the big news coming out of Freedom Summit. Hmm. Yeah. Get my beauty sleep after a long oh, day. Right. I yeah, mean, I, I mean, I love Larry Elder, but yeah, that was a big announcement that he yeah. made. So, oh, well, that'll be. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> sure. Already starting to jump in. Yeah. Jump in the ring. Ready uh, to go. Well, all right. So that was the perfect uh, setup for the next. Uh, well, the subsequent seventy-two hours. Now we're into more like twenty-four hours. About twenty-four hours till the polls open tomorrow. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. While we were enjoying uh, Larry Elder and Brandon Tatum and all the others at Freedom Summit, Freedom Fest, Family Fun. It's Freedom, Freedom Summit. Freedom Summit. It's okay. Yeah. You can admit that you know what it's called. Now. Uh, and uh, we had uh, Mr. 10%, the big guy, President yeah. Biden, Kamala Harris in over the weekend trying to whip up their faithful, you know, the socialists. Although uh, it turns out the president didn't care for. Right. Did not care for the uh, protesters and their signage. He was a little uh, taken aback by uh, the resistance he received in this merry blue state of Illinois, wasn't he? 
It's never been more. Im- That's not it. Hold on. Hold on. Well, I can't find the Biden bite. But I did. We did listen to it. And knew he was. He called them idiots. Social Security and Medicare are more than government programs. They're a promise. They're a promise. Work hard and contribute. And when time comes to retire, things are going to be a little easier for you. Not guaranteed, but it's a little, little easier. Social Security and Medicare don't solve it all. But there's a rock, um, and we've counted on you. It's a rock-solid guarantee, an ironclad commitment. Generations of Americans have counted on it, and it works. If we didn't have Social Security, the poverty rate for those over 65 would be four times what it is now. Four times. I love those signs when I came in. Socialism. (laughs) Give me a break. What idiots. (laughs) Socialism. No one ever doubts I mean what I say. Sometimes, unfortunately, I say all that I mean. Okay. He well. said it because <clears throat> he meant it. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro. Answer line 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Yeah, from each according to their abilities uh, or to uh, each according to their needs. I, I don't I mean that's, I don't know, but sort of textbook definition but sure okay it's a punchline sure we're not socialists and particularly in illinois because it's going so swimmingly here fine okay uh interesting the desperation of this uh, 11th hour attack across the board on uh republicans by these democrat yes socialists oh you're gonna cut social security and medicare funding i mean tried and true it's it's right up there with all the other class envy rhetoric that you've become accustomed to from from Democrat socialists for the past. I don't know. 60 years, 90 years, depends how far you go back, I suppose. But that's those uh, cutting Social Security and Medicare, which uh, no one is talking about. No. But there should be a real conversation about restructuring uh, these unsustainable Ponzi schemes. And most Ponzi schemes turn out to be unsustainable, by the way. But I digress. There should be a discussion about that, absolutely. Uh, But uh, that's not a discussion that's happening now. So they're just inventing that. Uh, The problem is it's too late. It's way too late for the Democrat socialists. And it was interesting over the weekend, even some of their uh, message makers, like Hillary Rosen, she from Camp Hillary Clinton, you may remember, She was on CNN and she had this to say about uh, what she sees coming tomorrow night and why. Speaking as a Democrat, um, I'm a a loyal Democrat, but I am not happy. I just think that we are, you know, we did not listen to voters in this election. And I think we're going to have a bad night. And, you know, this conversation is not going to have much impact on Tuesday, but I hope it has an impact going forward. Because when voters tell you over and over and over again that they care mostly about the economy, Listen to them. Stop talking about democracy being at stake. Democracy is at stake because people are fighting so much about what elections mean. I mean, voters have told us what they wanted to hear, and I don't think Democrats have really delivered Uh, this cycle. mm. Yeah, now, of course, she just thinks it's a messaging problem, not a policy problem. problem, But it's fundamentally a policy problem that leaves you without a particularly compelling message. Uh, Mark Penn, also formerly of Clinton World, Mark Penn is a pollster. Uh, he was on uh, Fox News Sunday 
saying the same thing. We're going to find out if uh, what uh, he thinks about where the Dem Socialists needed to message, if that was the proper play, or if the inflation-denying approach was the proper play. The fascinating thing to me is that the Democrats have said threat to democracy is really what they're running this campaign on. You know, I think the Biden administration did threat to democracy. They did student loans. They did marijuana pardons. Right. And they did a million dollars of gas out of the petroleum reserve. They did not confront these issues directly in any meaningful way. They became inflation deniers. And and that really, I think, is a stupid strategy. We're going to see whether or not I'm right. And that was probably one of the worst strategies. I've ever seen in a midterm, or they were right. They had some tough issues, and they decided to completely avoid them. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Dot Pro answer line six four six three six D A Turnkey Dot Pro text line. Bill and Glen Ellen. Yeah, when the Democrats mean they're worried about an end to democracy, when you have a plutocracy, an autocracy, or a monarchy, those are different ways of ruling a, a, a country. So what they don't mean an end to democracy and the end of people voting for their elected government. What they mean is democracy. So when it's an end to democracy, it's an end to the rule of by Democrats. So that's they're legitimately afraid of not being in charge anymore, and that's what they mean by an end to democracy. It's just you have to understand what they mean by different words. They liberals don't think the same way normal people do. So, well, that's, that's right. What they mean. Thanks for the call, Bill. Of course. Um, they are the vanguard party. They are the great protectors of democracy. So were they not in charge, then democracy would be imperiled. It's uh, you know, pretty, it's a, pretty des- a plus B equals C. It's a desperate attempt. I mean, Kim Fox and Superintendent Brown had a press conference on Friday saying our democracy, our elections are under attack. And I, I looked at her. I said, what what does that even mean? I have an 80-year-old uh, aunt who is afraid to go vote. And part of that has been based on what she has seen across the country, the fear of what happens if she goes. And the fact that people feel intimidated to cast their ballot and a free and fair election and a democracy counts on the average citizen being able to go cast their vote. I, I think that her 80-year-old might be afraid to go outside the house, go shopping, because of the hell that Kim Fox and others have created with, with letting everybody out on electronic monitoring. And soon, no cash bail. I mean, give me a break. Tina Joliet. Hi, good morning. Um, so I was one of the idiots in um, Manuka, and I was able to greet our lovely uh, President Poopy Pants. And uh, we had, I had every intention of going to the Freedom Summit that morning, but the night before we had, uh, we got the email that he was coming. So we, I went to my garage, I pulled out a 25 cent piece of um, poster board and wrote, where's Nancy on it? And then um, Twitter lost their minds when those photos went all over the internet. And um, it was, I I stood out there in 60-mile-an-hour winds with about 150 other people. We had flags. We had signs. uh, We played patriotic music, and we waited for 30 seconds so that we could have 30 seconds just so we could boo this idiot as he drove in and let him know. And we all had, I mean, we we all got a bird's-eye view of him as he drove by, and he, he looked at us, and he laughed and kept driving. But they had... Um, van after van after van of cameras um, just aimed at us and 
uh, yeah, they, they made sure that they got the most, you know, whatever pictures that they possibly could. But that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted him to know we are unhappy with the way this country is going and that we will be out in force tomorrow. Uh, we were able to get um, all the signatures required for three different people running for school board um, in Kendall County. And we have every intention of flipping every single race we can get our little, uh, our hands on All right. in the state of Illinois. And, and that's what we're doing. So welcome to, welcome to Illinois, idiot. Thanks for the call, well, Tina. I mean, you made quite an impression. It was so bad that they had to rent out an elementary school gym, which can hold maximum of 200 people. Michael Southside. Morning, Dan. Morning, Amy. Thank you for taking my call. I uh, attended the Freedom Summit, and I just wanted to thank the uh, the organizers. And also, uh, I, I really appreciated meeting uh, you, Amy, and the other WIND um, um, hosts. I, I The uh, breakout sessions were very uh, interesting, and, it, and the whole uh, event made me even more fired up for Tuesday. Thanks. So thank you. Thanks for the call, Michael. Thanks for showing up. I've I got to tell you um... – I think it's more than just the messaging. It's more than even just the short-term policymaking, although it certainly exacerbated what started uh, in the run-up to Trump's election in 2016. Victor Davis Hanson was on with Tucker Carlson on Friday night, and uh, he talked about this coalition that he sees coming together, and I agree with him, that uh, Biden actually did unify us in a sense. If you don't vote for a Democrat, you destroy democracy. And every woman in the United States has a constitutional right to have an abortion to the last minute before birth. And Donald Trump and his supporters, half the country, are fascist. And the only good thing out of this toxic two years that we've endured, we lab rats from these mad scientists, is that in a, in a weird way they brought people together, Tucker. They, been, there's a new ecumenical movement of African-American males, Hispanics, and the white working class that detest these bicoastal elites. Yeah. And they're starting to look at class concerns rather than these racial differences. And just the, the, the antipathy toward these left-wing elites has created a consensus that I haven't seen in my lifetime, but I think we're going to be shocked next Tuesday when it roars. It's going to be a mouse, and it's going to roar, and they're not ready for it, and that's why they're panicking. They don't know what to do. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. 
If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. On uh, Friday, NBC News had a brief fit of journalism on the installment of uh, Friday's installment of Today's Show. NBC News national correspondent Miguel Almaguer. Miguel Miguel Almaguer. I love him. He's really good at his job. Thank you so much. Well, he's a good journalist. Yeah, go on Yelp. Uh, He uh, offered this report on the Paul Pelosi attack. NBC News learning new details about the moments police arrived. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high-priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or try to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. But instantaneously, a struggle ensued as police clearly saw David DePap strike Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer. After tackling the suspect, officers rushed to Mr. Pelosi, who was lying in a pool of blood. Law enforcement, tell, law enforcement officials tell us the bottom line here is this was a terrifying situation. We still don't know exactly what unfolded between Mr. Pelosi and the suspect for the 30 minutes they were alone inside that house before police arrived. Officials who were investigating this matter would not go into further details about these new details. Whoa, 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 put the brakes on there. So they had this fit of journalism, but then they quickly recovered. NBC News pulled the report from its website and social media and issued an editor's note on its website reading, quote, the piece has been removed from publication because it did not meet NBC News's reporting standards. But he got that information from the actual police report. And in that story, he interviewed the police chief. Well, there's no indication of what exactly uh, which standard that NBC supposedly has that this story didn't meet. Of course there isn't. Uh, number one. Number two, yeah, he interviewed law enforcement. And law enforcement stuck to the party line, which is it was a terrifying incident. Well, it doesn't sound terrifying until Paul Pelosi is struck in the head with a hammer. That That's a terrifying event. I get that. But it doesn't sound like it was terrifying when they arrived, and that's sort of what prompts questions. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Six four six three six DA turnkey dot pro text line. Now the situation with this incident raised all sorts of legitimate questions because it was just bizarre. Right. Because we thought a third person might have answered the door, and it was Paul Pelosi himself who answered the door. First of all, so th- there were all sorts of legitimate questions to ask, but anybody who asked legitimate questions got the conspiracy theorist treatment. Yes, you heard it on this show from Never Trumpers. Conspiracy theory. Well, I don't think Miguel Almaguer is uh, part of uh, the Proud Boys or as a Trump voter or uh, insurrectionist or anything of the sort. Um, he did this piece, which I don't know. Is anybody challenging what he reported? It's no. in the police report, folks. So, so yeah, so, so it's not okay 
to ask questions about what exactly transpired as we're supposed to just believe the official narrative that this is a direct result of Trump's rhetoric. And this is an indication of the right wing violence that's besetting the nation. And these are dangerous times. And if you put Republicans in, there are going to be more people beaten with hammers because they're semi-fascist. That's the story we're supposed to accept unqualified without question. And even I, I, I tweeted this story out, and this is a kind of response you get. Dan Pross partner, who among being a pro-insurrectionist and anti-vaxxer, is also pushing an extremist conspiracy surrounding the Democratic Speaker of the House's attempted kidnapping. Who is that, but, Ma- Marianne Ahern? Who, no, who tweeted I, that? This is some crazy man that I've never heard of before. Well, okay. But I mean, I'm just saying that this is the kind of response you get. You're yeah, just right. stating the truth. And I just I, I didn't I didn't give an opinion. All I did was retweet the story, and people's hair was on fire. You're not allowed to ask questions. Freaking crazy you're, people. You're not allowed to point to anybody else asking questions. No. Otherwise, you're an a, insurrectionist. No, you're a threat to democracy. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. You know, like Darren Bailey. Yeah. <laughs> I still can't get over it. JB. This is how. This is how much they share a single brain and it's not a particularly high functioning one everyone is saying the same thing about everyone who is uh, their opponent or a support of their opponent jb prisker in the second debate just to remind you darren bailey the farmer from clay county is a threat to our democracy <laughs> and if he wins it's a threat to civil rights it's a threat to workers it's never been more important to get out to vote because donald trump's puppet darren bailey well he wants to take us backward oh yeah yeah so 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 powerful um addition to the questions we're not allowed to ask although the same people saying you can't ask questions will demand this information in other contexts. But I understand that hypocrisy is their privilege as part of the Vanguard Party. They don't want to know about Biden, Hunter Biden's laptop. They don't want to know about this. Brooke Jenkins, who is the prosecutor, the district attorney there in San Francisco, who replaced Chase Bowden after he was recalled, refuses to release the police body cam surveillance footage saying our job is not to try the case in the public or in the press. It's to try it in a courtroom. Now, now again, if this was a incidence of an incident where involving a police officer that was alleged to have beaten a suspect, would that be the same attitude of Brooke Jenkins? Would that be the same attitude of the D.C. press corps? Would that be the same attitude of left? Hey, 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 we don't try cases in the public. We reserve that evidence for a courtroom. Please, please. So, again, we're not going to release any evidence that we demand be released in almost any other context. We're not going to answer any questions and we're going to mow mow anybody who does ask questions. And we're supposed to, again, without question, accept the official storyline and allow the left to run wild with their demagoguery about threats to democracy. And what Miguel Almaguer didn't say, that my friend who saw the police report, who's a, a private investigator out there, said they both were in their underwear, too, when Paul Pelosi answered the door. And that's why they asked what's going on here, because they didn't know what was going on here. My friend David, that's what he said. Uh, that's what police dispatch said, that Paul Pelosi said on the call. And this was characterized as him 
speaking so uh, impressively in code so as to not draw attention, the attention of the assailant and so on and so forth. Maybe there was something else going on. But, the, but we're not allowed to address what police dispatch said Paul Pelosi said. We're not allowed to address what the police report says about their interaction with Paul Pelosi when police showed up on the scene. No, no, it's all off limits. Okay. Tom, Blue Island, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Dan and Amy, good morning. Uh, great function Saturday. Uh, Dan, Amy, my mind is right. I believe that two grown men running around in their underwear is an attack on democracy. I believe that the police chief of San Francisco or whatever almost brought to the verge, brought to the verge of tears is legitimate. And I believe that two black fellas walking around downtown with MAGA hats on on the coldest night of the year and a noose over their shoulder were looking to attack a poor individual just trying to get a Subway sandwich. So- that's, that's Tom, that's what happens in Streeterville. It's Trump country. That's what happens there. MAGA country. I mean, uh huh. it still makes me laugh. Bob Buffalo <laughs> Grove. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. It was great seeing you and your staff at the Freedom Summit. It was a great event, as always. We have staff. Just a quick comment. Oh. Is NBC back to reporting fake news again? No, they're, they're back. They're not. Well, they're back to not reporting real news. The fact that they yeah. pulled it. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Hopefully the other stations have archived it and will play it. Well, thanks it's for archived. the call. Yeah, they're not going to get it played by other stations, but... But um, also, and you're not allowed to ask any questions about NBC News pulling the story because that makes you a conspiracy theorist too, right? Uh, it didn't meet our standards. Okay, well, just let's just move on then. If is is uh, Miguel Almelguer is he going to be disciplined? Is the Today Show or the producers there going to be disciplined because or they fired. they they or fired? Well, that that would yeah. be disciplined. Because they ran this story that didn't meet NBC's mysterious standards? Uh-huh. We'll see. I'll check tonight. Add in Oakbrook. Yeah, you know what? Hillary talks about democracy. What about when the FBI raids people's homes? What is it? You think that affects democracy? And then when, um, when she got left off the hook by Comey, whose brother worked for her, you think that was a threat to democracy? How about the Department of Justice going after mothers going to board meetings? you think that was a threat to democracy? And one more thing, I've been working out here, is that the Pelosi case, I really don't even care, because it's going to come out when the Pepe goes to trial. But in the meantime, the Pelosi's name is ruined forever. So have a good day. I don't know. I mean, this is the same guy who almost killed somebody driving drunk. And we, they won't let people know who he was drinking with because I don't think he was drinking by himself. He was all dressed up. You know, these are just things that the, the media, they, they ask, but they won't let them know. And now that this David guy has been, uh, the FBI and the DOJ is involved, the media is not going to be able to ask him any questions till well long after the midterms. So here's the thing um, for those who suggest that you should just accept the official narrative without question. You may want to go read uh, the classic The Boy Who Cried Legitimacy. I think it was called back then The Boy Who Cried Wolf. But that's what you have at play here. The boy who and the, the boys and the girls who cried legitimacy are institutions and they're attacking our institutions and they're attacking our democracy and so on and so forth. 
you put people in charge, we collectively, I suppose, put people in charge of government and by extension all the civic institutions that have so much impact on people's quality of life and are you know, organizing centers of society. You put people at the top of those institutions that do nothing but lie, do, no, do nothing but lie and propagandize and demonize. And then you wonder why they don't have legitimacy among a wide swath of the population. You wonder why everything is questioned and nothing is taken at face value. You cried legitimacy over and over again when there was no legitimacy because you had people that were actively undermining the credibility of those institutions and thus their organizing influence in our society. So don't be surprised when those same individuals who've been demonized and ridiculed and dismissed and hurt don't accept without question what you're telling them. Tom, Northwest Side. Morning, guys. Um, Dan, I like the uh, Mau Mau reference. That was a nice one. Thank you. Um, so a hat tip to Tom Wolf yeah. there. <laughs> uh, We've handled uh, dozens upon dozens of home invasions in the Chicagoland area, and I never recall the offender being clad in underwear, either before, during, or after. I'm surprised to hear that, actually, in Chicago. But anyway, go ahead. Well, and another question I had is in the reporting, did they mention what caliber the uh, hammer was? It <laughs> probably... Maybe they should be outlawed. Thanks. And the, yeah, and then we don't know too if he came to the home in his underwear, if he took off his clothes, or his clothes on the floor in the bedroom. I mean, those are details that people want to know, but they're not releasing those. Paul Carey. Hey, you guys need to move along with this. Um, by the way, looking at this and what I heard over the weekend, it's just merely a game, a classic game of hide the hammer. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Thanks, Paul. Uh, David Lansing. Uh, good morning. Uh, there's a few things the media is missing here. The tens of millions, maybe hundreds, I don't know, Nancy of Nancy Pelosi, the uh, trading uh, of stocks, uh, possibly ahead of legislation by Paul Pelosi. Why aren't these reported by the Clinton News Network and Microsoft NBC? And, um, you know, th- these are things like that are being overshadowed by underwear and a hammer. Uh, these are pretty significant things that should be uh, mentioned, don't you think? Thanks, David. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. 
Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, no statutory changes needed, you know, which is nice. Yeah, it's nice. No statutory changes are needed to impose the vax mandate on kids if they're going to be allowed to attend K-12 schools in Illinois. That is the uh, exchange between representatives of Governor Pritzker's office and the Illinois Department of Public Health over implementing a vax mandate these emails unearthed from a uh, by via a FOIA request from uh done by Emma Woodhouse and um are circulating now so just so you know of course you should have known but he's been ducking this issue of what his opinion is for low these last several weeks while his staff is busily preparing the imposition of the vax mandate on kids in K12 that is what will happen if we reelect this governor, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. And it's all a lot. I mean, he's told it October 27th. It took, by the way, eight days before a reporter even asked him about the question because the CDC passed it as a recommendation. But if you look in the past, Governor Pritzker has implemented every CDC recommendation, <clears throat> mandate and recommendation. That's what he has done. So he lied and said, well, you know, the General Assembly, now we have three branches of government and we're going to have to look at it and vote on it. And that's bull jive because the IDPH, they're the ones who decide. From uh, this uh, email from Illinois Department of Public Health Deputy Director Shannon Leitner asking colleagues about um, the process and procedure, what requirements must be met in order to implement the mandate, quote, from... Pritzker's office is what she's referring to from the governor's office. Do we have to go through the committee and have three hearings? The committee she's referring to is the Immunization Advisory Committee. Uh, IDPH Division Chief of Infectious Disease responds, this Heidi Clark is her name. That seems to be the case. No statutory changes are necessary, which is a plus, but those meetings would be pretty rough, I'm sure. The uh, Immunization Advisory Committee hasn't met since December of 2021 when it was uh, run by Dr. Ezeke. Pediatrician out of Oak Park. But a big meeting is scheduled to take up Pritzker's COVID-19 vax mandate after the election, but before the end of 2022, according to Heidi Clark at the Illinois Department of Public Health. Three public hearings geographically distributed throughout the state before making its recommendation. So what's your Reading between the lines here, if you, um, you know, you know what they're saying, which is pretty straightforward, actually, they're saying, yeah, we have to go through this process. We have to do the perfunctory hearings Mm -hmm. and then we'll implement the mandate because they've already made up their minds. Of course they have, because you knew that they were working behind the scenes while Pritzker was dithering in public. So does that alter your view of J.B. Pritzker at all, that number one, you can expect the mandate if he's reelected, and number two, 
he's not being forthright about his position while it is being moved internally in through the machinery of government. 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswer. And I want you guys to hear the lie. Your governor thinks he's better than you. He wants to control your children. And here's the lie that he told to everybody. That we're not currently requiring that. That's something that goes through the General Assembly. All of not. the vaccination requirements are uh, heard by the General Assembly, decided upon by the General Assembly. Uh, and so it's obviously something we're listening to doctors uh, about and making sure we're making the right decisions, but at this point not required. Oh, the science and the data, Dan. He's listening to doctors. It doesn't sound like uh, DPH is saying it has to go through the General Assembly. Because it doesn't. So it probably won't if he's reelected. And, I mean, that General Assembly is docile as it is. You think they're going to kick up much of a a fight? I doubt it. Um, By the way, so on the the substance of this, with respect to uh, what we're learning with each passing day about the impact of these vaccines, particularly on populations that are not at any real risk, certainly not significant risk. Everybody has a little bit of risk. I understand that there are children under the age of 18 who've died from COVID. I understand. Where there's also a lot of children under the age of 18 who've had mysterious deaths that that, that, uh, surround the vax. And uh, there's very few people wanting to talk about them because they know the shame mob will come for them. But a couple of cardiologists will one of whom is before a medical board right now with the prospect of having his credentials removed for daring to speak, but he's doing it anyway. That's Dr. Peter McCullough. You'll hear from him in a second. First, uh, Dr. Asim Mahotra, who is a British cardiologist. Uh, he is a consultant to their state health care, the National Health Service. He's a widely respected cardiologist, or at least he was, until he came out with a study and called for a halt on the vaccines in toto, in toto, but particularly for kids. Listen to what he says. It is my duty and responsibility as a consultant cardiologist and public health campaigner to urgently inform doctors, patients, and members of the public that the COVID mRNA vaccine has likely played a significant role or been a primary cause of unexpected cardiac arrests, heart attacks, strokes, cardiac arrhythmias and heart failure since 2021 until proven otherwise. Until proven otherwise. It's not worth the risk is what he's saying. And there, I mean, there's this uh, compendium video that's been posted that just has all these headlines of all these young people, young athletes. Yes, that have dropped dead. Even, even really disturbing videos of them collapsing and subsequently dying. And it's just unexplained. Now it happens, you know, uh, Hank gathers on the loyal on the for Loyola Marymount on the basketball court. You can have a, a undetected heart, uh, a, you know, defection that results in something terrible like that. But uh, there are a lot of medical doctors raising the specter that there's something else going on here. Dr. Peter McCullough is the cardiologist who's now being attacked by the. Uh, uh, internal medicine boards in the state of Texas seeking to remove his credentials. Well-respected cardiologist, widely published, but he broke from COVID jab orthodoxy, and now he's under fire for from his profession for his professional credentials, but he's speaking out nonetheless. 200 papers. 
showing that the myocarditis causes heart damage and a scar, and then the scar becomes the basis for a cardiac arrhythmia, and then the arrhythmia is responsible for the sudden death that we're seeing, and we're seeing sudden death now on a massive scale in younger people. Um, it's my view. It's the COVID-19 vaccine until proven otherwise. Yeah, the duty of the proof, the burden of proof. When you're talking about a low-risk population, it would seem logical and rational that the burden of proof to mandate the vaccine, the uh, you know, jabs as far as the eye can see in perpetuity, it would seem the burden of proof would be on the mandator. Why shouldn't I have choice on this? You have to provide compelling evidence why I shouldn't have choice. That would seem logical to me. That doesn't seem like where we're going to go if there's not a leadership change in Illinois. And and parents are just, you know, scrambling, asking so many questions. Does that mean every year we have to get a booster shot like this, this bivariant? Yes. Which Dr. Awarde lied and said they did a study uh, with the bivariant. No, they didn't. Not on human beings. It was eight mice that they did the study on. And she later took it back. But I'm just saying that's part of the lie here. Well, this is, you know, I was talking at the Freedom Summit to a woman who's in uh, pharma. Okay. And she was talking about um, the trials that are going through right now at her company for a generic drug whose who, the, the, the brand name drug, the patent is up. So now they're reverse engineering to create a generic drug, generic oh. version of it, which happens all the time. Right. She's saying, she was telling me that y- you, you, you can't believe the trials that we have to go through with a drug who's, I, I, I know the drug, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to out the company. That she may work for, but you know everybody knows this brand name drug, and yet to reverse engineer a generic of a brand name drug that is in wide use, you have to go through all these trials for an unproven vax that you're going to mandate on a largely invulnerable population to this virus. Eight mice, and it's good to go. It's lunacy. And they have millions of these, you know, vaccines waiting to pump into the arms of kids. And they want people because people are not doing it. Moms are not getting that that third shot for their kids. They're just not. Emma Woodhouse on her subsect, she broke it down. It's less than 5% right. of parents in Illinois are getting it done because we don't need it because maybe our kids have already had COVID. We've, you know, we've done what the government has asked. But the fact that if they don't get the shot, they can't go to school. And then you're going to have to hire an attorney to try to maybe possibly get a religious exemption or a medical exemption. It's too much. We just, you know, it's just another thing to add on to your plate. It's just another reason why it's hard to live in Illinois. We'll see about uh, any potential litigation were Pritzker reelected, were this imposed. It's not going so well for cops here like it did in New York City. A uh, Illinois appellate court ruled against Chicago FOP's Vax lawsuit. Oh, my God. Nope. Uh, this, da, 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 da. this is stupidity. They were the ones that were at work while everybody else was locked in their house. On appeal to, from a lower court, plaintiffs, meaning FOP, argued they have identified several well-defined dominant public policies that require us to overturn the arbitrator's award for the following reasons. We disagree and affirm the judgment of the circuit court. The unions have failed to identify any well-defined dominant public policy implicated by the arbitration award, the public policy exception does not apply, really. <laughs> well, I don't know. Based on what some of these uh, 
uh, cardiologists and other medical uh, doctors and public health professionals are saying, yeah, I think there's some real well-defined public policy issues that are implicated with these mandates, whether it's on cops or kids. But, you know, it's one of those things. Well, I just remember a time when we had control of our kids and the government didn't. I'm old enough to remember those days. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you an example of what you're running up against if you think that parents and parental choice over your kids' health-related decisions is obvious to you. That shouldn't be controversial. It shouldn't be this big of a fight. There shouldn't be these mandates based on the science and data. Let me give you an example of what you're running into when you're talking about these COVIDian politicians that we've put in charge of this state. We did it. We did it. And we may do it again tomorrow. We'll see. What will you do? Jim Cramer. Jim Cramer, this mad money Jim Cramer, who is a goof as far as I'm concerned. And a lot of uh, financial analysts will say the same privately because they don't want to get in a public spat with Jim Cramer or you know, lose their opportunity to be on CNBC. Goof. But uh, he's on CNBC. He's got the Mad Money Show. He's He's got a platform. He's got a platform. This is Jim Cramer is this last week <laughs> praising the Chinese communist COVID response where they shut down the Disney World what? in Shanghai and wouldn't allow Chinese residents to leave until they got a PCR test. A negative, a negative one, PCR. Yeah. Well, obviously a negative one. This, wait, wait, they, but they do that at IKEA. They'll just and people. You see the video of them trying to run and escape before they lock and bolt the doors. L- l- listen to Jim Cramer and just take because the mindset is what's key here because that's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with a Pritzker or Lightfoot, or these other COVIDian politicians. Some of the video that came out of Shanghai Disney, Jim, where they had to suspend operations to comply with the prevention measures, but literally kept people in the park until they came back with a negative test. Just astounding. Was it three tests over 24 hours or something? Yeah, well, because you get it. I mean, look, I had had a PCR test with someone at 10, and they gave it to me by 5, so I don't think that's wrong. I'll just go back over. I mean, I think cheap propagandists, let me, you know, I call that person a dissembler, so to speak. But, I mean, they need it. They have a narrative which just says basically you can can conquer uh, COVID by just being locked down. And this has to change the narrative to being, you know what, you know what's even better? Our homegrown mRNA, which I am told is simply that they managed to get the intellectual property, stole it, which is good. Because when I say good, because it's better to have mRNA than not. Let's just say they appropriate it. And, and they got to deal with, what do you do if you told people the way to beat this is no vaccine? And now you have a vaccine. So I think what you need is a propagandist. Outside of the state infrastructure. Exactly. To start moving political opinion. But I think when we think of propaganda, we think about other regimes that we didn't really appreciate. You're like silent. I am silent. I'm just thinking about those poor people stuck at Disney, Shanghai Disney for... It's a, I mean, it's the worst places to be stuck, but still. Chief, it's a real small world after all. That's funny to him. He, he's arguing on behalf. What's the big deal about uh, locking people in at Shanghai Disney until they get a negative PCR test? 
and you need a chief propagandist in China. Jeez. For the Chinese communists, as the entire state is the chief propagandist. But okay, the Polit- the Chinese Politburo is the chief propagandist. No, so and and then the anchor has to qualify. You mean like outside of the state, as if there is anything outside of the state in a totalitarian society? And the, the, but you should see that it's a great video because the panelist sitting to Kramer's left is just. Can't believe what he's hearing. He's just dumbfounded, but he just stays silent, which is why there was that awkward moment where nobody wanted to talk because they couldn't believe what Jim Cramer is saying. But this is what people like Jim Cramer and these COVIDian politicians actually think. This is what you're up against. I'm sure people have experienced it in schools and uh, in their social circles in Illinois. I'm, I have no doubt, given the high marks that Pritzker gets from the electorate on his handling of COVID. And he does. They've deteriorated a bit, but he still does. Will they deteriorate more if he, if and when, if again, per his reelection, if he's reelected, if he imposes this, this vax mandate on kids to go to school? And it's so funny how the the left, excuse me, the left now is celebrating, you know, making fun of COVID and how you could miss work and get, get away from your family. SNL had a skit this weekend. I don't know if you saw it. Here's some of it. SNL. Oh my. Are you feeling tired and worn down? Sick of the endless grind at work? Exhausted by your family, desperate for some peace and quiet? Then ask your doctor about COVID. By simply getting COVID, you're guaranteed a five and sometimes even 10 day vacation from all of life's problems. I needed a break. Just some time away from everyone. So my doctor suggested I get COVID. Yeah. And it was the yeah, oh. this is all part of the of what the truce that we're supposed to call. I mean, it'd be hilarious if, you know, th- these are the Covidians that ridiculed and mocked and attempted to cancel those who knew that it was a flu two years ago. And now they're attempting to walk away from it, pretending right. they didn't do the things they did, just as these Covidian politicians in so many states who are under fire and under threat of losing are doing. You still right you st- before the election, going back to uh, our discussion last week, the Emily Oster piece, that Brown University economist piece about pa- pandemic amnesty. Uh, how do you even have a discussion about that when you have covidian politicians like Pritzker lying to you publicly? And preparing to impose a vax mandate on your children on you and your children in order to send them to school. And you want to talk about amnesty? You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The following brought to us from Matt Rosenberg, writing over at wirepoints.org. Coming home from a long night of driving Uber, John Gurney got carjacked near 24th and Western. Just about to park his car, he was blockaded by another vehicle and found a 357 Magnum pointed right at his face. Weekdays, the master's grad of the University of Chicago Booth School of Business works in finance. But Gurney hustles for extra cash as a rideshare driver because of ongoing family medical expenses, not covered by health insurance. As Rosenberg writes, until local politicians decide they're willing to spend their political capital 
on a hard line against crime. Carjackings and other violent felonies in Chicago will continue almost at will. And they have 20-year highs. Three times the number of carjackings last year and this year it will be as compared to 2019. Pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. A couple things he learned from the experience. Well, he's lucky he's alive, by the way. I'm sure he knows that. First, Gurney told Rosenberg he learned the juvenile who pointed a gun to him to initiate the armed hijacking of his vehicle had cycled through Cook County Court several times already on carjacking charges. And he was not detained before trial due to his juvenile status. Uh huh. Second, Chicago carjacking sprees are often a way of harvesting vehicles to use in other crimes, like drive-by shootings and armed robberies. In other instances, carjacked vehicles may be stripped for parts, including valuable catalytic converters, or they're taken by force for joyriding and social media bragging rights. Yeah, that catalytic catalytic converter uh, burglary ring that was like half a billion dollars that that got busted up last week. Uh, It turned out, uh, according to what police later told Gurney, his carjacking was part of a spree of 17 violent crimes, mostly armed robberies by the same crew. One of the members of that crew who uh, reached into Gurney's pockets was dead an hour later after crashing another carjacked vehicle into a light pole at 90 miles an hour. Fury Road down there on the highways and byways of Chicagoland, isn't it? Oh, by the way, uh, three-quarters of the carjackings, three-quarters are aggravated, meaning there is a weapon involved or an elderly or young victim. So this idea, it's... uh, uh, you know, it's all just please exit the vehicle. <laughs> yeah, there's no niceties there. And so the the trauma associated for the trauma associated with these incidents for eighteen hundred people and their families carjacked in Chicago after eighteen hundred were carjacked in Chicago last year. Uh huh. People have cycled through the system on these same charges that are turned out to do it again. This is on the ballot tomorrow for the umpteenth time. I'm sure you're getting tired of me saying it. I'm getting tired of having to say it, too, but I feel like compelled to. Because this is exactly what the culture will be in the rest of the state. What you have in Chicago and Cook County under Preckwinkle, Fox, and Lightfoot. Did he have an EM on, electronic monitoring? 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswer line. Six four six three six D A turnkey dot pro text line. You know what the arrest rate for carjackers in Chicago is through this year? What? Six point seven percent. Oh my goodness. So do you think they're in all at all inhibited from engaging in this sort of violent crime? When there's very low probability of even being arrested and on the rare occasion someone is arrested? Per the John Gurney experience, they're turned right back out. There's a guy playing by the rules in this state. He's working his ass off getting his MBA at Booth or Masters in Finance at Booth, working in finance, and then driving Uber at night as a side hustle to help pay medical bills at home. And this is what he has to put up with. This is what he gets in return for the highest combined state and local tax burden he pays in the country. And you all pay, too. And you don't want to make a change? Nope. Not enough yet? Haven't had enough? 
You know, Kim Fox says the electronic monitoring system's working. I mean, you have people who have committed violent crimes, you know, charged with felonies, and are out on electronic monitoring. 45, I think last count, have tried to kill someone or have killed somebody. 18 are dead. And this is her response. She does not care about you. She doesn't care about your safety. Amy, I know you've been following this, and you know that the state's attorney's office is not responsible for electronic monitoring. You also point out that there are 45 people, but I would point out that there are literally been thousands of people on electronic monitoring who've not picked up any additional offenses or caused harm to the public. And so certainly all of the stakeholders here in Cook County are monitoring how we can do our work to keep our community safe, and we'll make sure that the practices that we have We'll do that to the best of our ability. Why do you always focus on the people out on electronic monitoring who commit crimes? What about all the people on electronic monitoring who don't commit crimes? Well, I guess I focus on the people that commit crimes because... 18 people are dead, and she doesn't care about those victims' family members. And because they were preventable. Mm-hmm. That's why I focus on them, because these were preventable crimes by people you knew should have been detained. So that's why I focus on I focus on the victims, you see, Kim Fox. And that's what I thought was your job. But that's where I focus. And that's why I have a problem with the people out on electronic monitoring who shouldn't be out on electronic monitoring, who commit crimes while they're out on electronic monitoring. Why do you focus on them? Because because I'm tired, Kim Fox, of a seven-time felon robbing a 14-year-old girl at knife point while she did her homework at a Starbucks in the loop. He's been arrested six times this year in Chicago. He's got two misdemeanor cases pending. 14-year-old girl waiting for her ballet class to start, doing homework inside a coffee shop on 131 South South State Street. And she gets accosted by a guy with a knife. Seven-time felon, arrested six times this year. That's why I focus on her, Kim Fox. You know what I mean? You get where I'm coming from? While on special gun probation, special gun probation for first-time gun offenders. While on special gun probation, Chicago man shot a sixteen-year-old as he tried to tried to rob the sixteen-year-old of his gun. Nineteen-year-old shoots a sixteen-year-old. Because the 19-year-old is on special secret gun probation, and then he goes and tries to steal a gun, and he shoots the guy he's trying to steal a gun from. You see what I mean, Kim? You see why I'm focused there? Because I'm tired of reading stories about teenagers being stuck up with a knife or shot in a tussle over a gun. You catching my drift? You see where I'm coming from? Have you had enough? Have you had enough? I I have. I got an email over the weekend from Dennis Rodkin, who uh, is a residential real estate reporter for Cranes. We've profiled his work over the years because he's done some good write-ups on property taxes, which, of course, I've been beating the drum about for two decades to no avail. He uh, was interested because he writes about, uh, you know, people selling their homes and if people have profile, any profile, not that I have much of one, but whatever. He uh, wrote, wrote, I see you sold your condo at Lake Point Tower in September. I hope you'd like to talk about it or shoot me some comments via email. And because he is like a straight reporter who just focuses on his beat, I actually do trust him to uh, be fair, which I think he will be. Yeah. And so he asked me, you know, just so... 
Did you buy another place? You renting? No. No. No, Dennis, I didn't. No. No, I'm not. Oh, yes, you bought another place in Illinois. Yeah. Okay. Here's what I wrote to Dennis Rodkin. I did sell my place. Yeah, you may have heard the governor talking about it. I did sell my place. I was happy to get slightly more than what I paid nominally for it and escape. I no longer have a place in Chicago or Illinois, nor will I until and unless the political leadership changes and that new leadership reforms the way we fund schools and structure and fund public sector pensions and in so doing reduces the usurious property taxes Illinois families pay. In Illinois, you don't own your home. It's simply collateral for someone else's guaranteed seven-figure pension. Therefore, owning real property in Illinois is a terrible investment at present and has been for some time. Chicago's real estate market was cratering before the pandemic, and the lawlessness that has been unleashed on the city will only exacerbate the drop in valuations. A Wallet Hub study recently found Chicago's home values ranked among the lowest of America's major cities. We're 61st out of 64 major cities in terms of home values. Did you know that? Is that what you hear from the political power structure? Is that what you think is happening? I wrote, it is sad what has happened in Chicago and Illinois, as both the city and the state are beautiful places, which I used to enjoy. I spent the first 49 years of my life here, but I no longer feel compelled to participate in the self-flagellation. Mine is not an unusual story. Someone who never thought he would call another state home, but could no longer make it make sense to be in Illinois. I understand the prevailing attitude of Illinois' political ruling class to people like me is good riddance. That's fine. My feelings aren't hurt. But it is that attitude which guarantees Chicago and Illinois will continue to feel the pain of productive, civic-minded people leaving. That's the choice tomorrow. That's the choice tomorrow. Just just uh, punctuate it, this Wallet Hub study, where Chicago is, despite all the beautiful lies and the mindless happy talk you hear from your favorite Dem Socialist politicians. It's all going well, covering from the pandemic, blah, 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 sure. Out of the 300 cities they looked at, Illinois, or excuse me, Chicago, is 172nd in median home price appreciation, and that doesn't include the underlying property taxes that eat away at any, that eat away at your equity and any ROI. Just a, just in straight median home price appreciation, 172nd, 257th in job growth rate out of 300, 245th in foreclosure rate, 214th in percent of delinquent mortgage holders, 252nd number of unsold homes owned by banks, 136th in home price as a percentage of income, 256th in population growth rate. And by the way, if you're not growing, you're dying. Immutable law of economics. Chicago ranks 284th out of 300 cities overall and 61st out of 64 of the country's largest cities. And behind even Chicago, other mid-major communities in Illinois, like Peoria and Rockford. Peoria is actually 300 out of 300. But it's going well. Don't change a thing in Chicago and Illinois. Okay. Is it, how much worse does it have to get before we make a change? A lot of people say worse. You know what's funny, too, is conversations I had at the Freedom Summit. 
you know, you need to publicize this. People don't know this and people don't know that. You know what I find? There are people who, and they must be dominant because they're the majority as represented by who's in office. They don't know anything. Oh, I didn't know that about the Safety Act. Oh, I didn't know that about property taxes. Oh, I didn't know that about the income tax hike Prisker tried to pass. Oh, I didn't know that about Amendment 1. Oh, I didn't know that about COVID. Oh, I didn't know that about uh, kids' test scores. Oh, I didn't know. They don't know anything. I didn't know that about uh, all these statistics I just read from the Wallet Hub study about Chicago. And by the way, hardly the only outlet that's looked at this and finds Chicago as one of the worst places to invest money in real property of any major city in the country. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know that was part of the curriculum. I didn't know they were teaching that. I didn't know that person was on my school board. I don't know anything. Some of the most intellectually uncurious people on the planet congregate here, it would seem. Uh, Enoch and Elgin. Hey, Mr. Props. Uh, I had the pleasure of hearing you speak at Chris Lawson's uh, luncheon the other day, and uh, your analysis is greatly appreciated every morning. Thank you. Uh, I'm 25. I'm an active Republican, and uh, our, our problem here in the state, our supermajority House and Senate, a bunch of do-nothings, and the only person that did anything was Darren Bailey. And we have cowardly senators co-sponsoring Amendment 1, voting for it, putting it on our bill, shamelessly supporting Irvin, being AWOL during COVID, and they expect us all to show up and vote for him. And uh, Don, Don DeWitt is one of those guys. St. Charles. Charles, yeah. Yep. And he's running unopposed. I would like every Republican to stuff it to him and not vote for him because he's going to win anyway. Vote for Bailey and don't vote for Don DeWitt and send him a message. Thanks for the call, Enoch. Yeah, DeWitt's a hack, former mayor of St. Charles. They couldn't the, find anybody to run against them? The, the mayor of uh, Naperville, uh, Steve Tirico, who, who, like, pretends he's some sort of, you know, moderate Republican. He endorsed Bill Foster against Catalina Lauf. Yeah, he did. Oh, God. Yeah, he did. So you still have quislings inside the perimeter of the Republican Party, too. Some of them have been excised. There are many more to go. Oh, I didn't know that about the Republican Party. Oh, I didn't know that about Steve Tirico. Oh, I didn't know that about Don DeWitt. I don't know anything. Ed in St. Charles. Yeah, just regarding Kim Fox, I I always hear the liberals saying, if it could save one life, how about if it could save 18 lives? Well, they're like, Thanks for the call, Ed. Yeah, right. They're never coming back. And she had no remorse. She had no sympathy or empathy for those family members who've lost their lives. Julia in Bloomington. Good morning. I was just calling, uh, listening to the never-ending tale about your carjackings up there north of I-80. But it's come to roost. It's come home to Bloomington normal. So I listen to you guys every day, listen to all the stuff that goes on in Chicago, thinking, wow, I'm sure glad I don't live there. And we've had two carjackings four blocks from my house in the last two weeks. Mm. And people still, 8 o'clock in the morning, on a Sunday morning, um, in the grocery store parking lot. The grocery store, by the way, where my 17-year-old daughter works and gets off at 9, 10 o'clock sometimes. And um, if people aren't concerned and people think that this safety act thing is a great idea, it's not just you guys anymore, apparently. The whole state. Um, They've made their way down here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, That's going to be the new normal and normal. Thanks for the call, Julia. That's exactly right. You think these uh, midsize communities around the state are are exempt from this? Well, well, 
you know the kind of crime problem they have in places like Rockford and Waukegan and Elgin, East St. Louis, Metro East. I mean, so this shouldn't come as a surprise. Now you turn that small element of these communities, just like up here, you turn them loose and you say there are no consequences for committing violent crime. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen. George and Libertyville. You know, you, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Dan. People, hopefully, with, through their pain, might start looking at uh, alternate media sites to set, start getting some truth. And I don't know if you talked about this earlier, but Gateway Pundit also uh, put out an email uh, that was uh, lifted from uh, an internal email from Pritzker himself talking about yeah. how they're going to mandate the shots. Yeah. It's, 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 this place is becoming Gotham, buddy. Yeah, thanks for the call, Georgia. We tackle that at the top of six o'clock hour, but it it bears as much repetition as we can we can offer it between now and six a.m. tomorrow when polls open. Thanks, George. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM five sixty mobile app. Download it today at five sixty theanswer dot com slash mobile. This is Chicago's morning answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM five sixty the answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Interesting piece by 60 Minutes yesterday on social media and political polarization in America. Uh, Tristan Harris, who was uh, featured in that movie a few years back, Social Dilemma, about the big tech companies, the impact they're having. This is back before the pandemic when we were concerned about screen time and kids spending hours on end on social media, the dopamine addiction likes and forwards and followers and all that. And maybe now, well, obviously we're not clearing the pandemic because the COVIDians won't let us talking about the forthcoming vax mandate on K through 12 kids. If Pritzker's reelected here in Illinois, but maybe it's time to turn some of our attention back to screen time and social media. And not just for the kids, because, of course, we're talking about how it plays out and impacts our politics. This is um, what Tristan Harris had to say about social media's impact. What's what's happening? The more moral outrageous language you use, the more inflammatory language, contemptuous language, the more indignation you use, the more it will get shared. So we are being rewarded for being division entrepreneurs. <laughs> the better you are at innovating a new way to be divisive, we will pay you in more likes, followers, and retweets. Each individual term referring to your political outgroup increased the odds of that post being retweeted or reshared by 67%. Yeah. Your outgroup being outgroup your, your being opponents, people your on opponents, the, other side. the other side. Yeah, exactly. These platforms... Are they not just reflecting who we are and what we think and the divisions that are already there? They're supercharging a hundred or a thousand times to one the worst parts of ourselves. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Is that uh, your experience on social media to the extent you participate? Is that something of concern to you? Do you think this is having a supercharging polarization impact on our politics and as the story goes providing 
more bandwidth to the quote-unquote extremes than they would otherwise enjoy without social media. Is that what's happening? The way that they use is an example like, um, uh, what was the story? Um, the story is really not material, but there oh, it was a story about the picture of the documents that were seized at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, the actual Bloomberg news story got a couple of thousand retweets. But when Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted a commentary about the raid, that got, you know, in the documents, that got exponentially more tweets. And then on the other side, when this uh, leftist creative shop called Midas Touch retweeted with a comment, that got even more likes and retweets than did Marjorie Taylor's Green, Marjorie Taylor Greene's comment and retweet. So that's is sort of the way they provide evidence to support that here's the actual event and that gets some reaction, but then the commentary from both sides gets exponentially more reaction and so is generating exponentially more polarization. I, I see it's p- providing more information. I mean, when you see the, j- just as an example, those documents, the DO, the FBI, they took those documents they, and scattered them on the floor to take pictures of this. You know, if it's so classified, why take a picture of it anyway? But I, I digress. That that, the fact that they did that, that that's not, and Trump even said, and probably added to it that, you know, one of his sons said that, that you know, they did that on purpose. They, you know, they didn't walk in and those classified documents were scattered on the floor. I like, I, I mean, I love the interaction. I, I want to learn from both sides or just see where they are and what their mindset is. So I don't mind. Our friend Scott, uh, the cow guy, Shaletti says, you know, social media, this is like, you know, uh, this is like the bathroom wall. It's the 20, oh. it's the 21st century bathroom wall. Uh, but we didn't, we never censored the bathroom wall. So why are we so worried about uh, what is and is not allowed on Twitter and social media platforms, uh, including incendiary opinions, including people who are pro- uh, producing incorrect information? Isn't that up to us? Isn't that up to us to uh, consume what we want to consume and generate an understanding from what we consume? And it may be wrongheaded, but in a free society, you're allowed to be wrong. You're allowed to consume agitprop. You're allowed to promote things that turn out to be untrue. And it's that interplay, that battle of ideas and the you know whoever builds the best mousetrap in, in, in a rhetorical sense, whoever provides the most evidence, whoever offers the most logical reasoning, well, that will ultimately carry the day rather than having a selected group of minders who come to the table with their own misunderstandings and certainly opinions and attitudes and worldview, having them regulate or decide what context needs to be added and so on and so forth. That's sort of the question, because, of course, where this goes is in a regulatory is is to the state being the regulatory overseer. And we'll get to that. Jonathan Haidt, who's a psych professor at NYU and who is a co-founder of Heterodox Academy because within this is, and he's a center left kind of guy. This was in response to how totalitarian college campuses had become. And he experienced it firsthand. 
This is the argument that he makes and his response to the culture on campus that he suggests exists, which I agree. But but listen to his analysis and his solution, because there may be some disagreement there. It's what I call structural stupidity. That is, you have very smart people, highly educated, highly intelligent, but you put them in a situation in which dissent is punished severely. And what happens? They go silent. Hmm. And when, when the moderates or when anyone is afraid to question the dominant view, the organization, the institution gets stupid. And so that certainly happened on college campuses, the structural stupidity he talks about. So how does he address it in his classroom? In a recent survey, more than half of college students said they're afraid to express views on political and social issues in the classroom. As a professor, what do you do? I just avoid controversial topics. Really? Yes. Isn't that what college is for? It used to be. Uh, it used to be. Well, uh, how does it get there again, John, if you're unwilling to go there? This is somebody who knows what's happening, knows it's wrong. I'm going to avoid it anyway to, because I know the mob will come for me. Well, that's not going to change anything. I mean, Heterodox Academy uh, offers a nice, uh, nice alternative in terms of some curricula choices, but I know it's structural stupidity, but I'm going to be one of those highly educated people that sits idly by. That's Jonathan Haidt's perspective. That's what he's doing. And he then he's rationalizing what highly educated, intelligent people like him do. This is what they do. Now, I understand it to some extent, but to some extent, social media is dominated by people who are insulated from the mob. Like me. I mean, I'm not, you know, nobody's completely insulated if you, you know, light your hair on fire and say ridiculous things. But, but I mean, I can, you know, I'm, I'm paid to take the strong positions that I actually believe. And but I, you actually believe them. Well, I actually believe them, of course. And, and I, but I can do so unapologetically. I don't have somebody saying, oh, you know, um, you can't take a strong position on this issue or stay away from controversial positions. And I understand in corporate settings and educational settings, it's different. I understand that people have more to lose by being outspoken than I do because I'm paid to be outspoken, even though that's my perspective anyway and my attitude. But so, so I get it. And, and so that's part of the, the, the issue that was not tackled in the 60 Minutes piece. It's dominated by opinion makers. It's dominated by people who are impressed or they're part of the left establishment in the arts or academia or Hollywood. So they're insulated, too, because there's groupthink in those institutions. And, you know, there's some conservative radio talk show host isn't going to, you know, prevent an actor or actress from getting a role because they don't they're not conservative obviously or or uh, uh, an academic from getting tenure because they're not conservative because everybody in those institutions for the most part certainly in the decision making positions is left so you they're insulated they can get away with it i can get away with it a lot of people can't and that creates a bit of a you know, a bit of an asymmetry in terms of the conversation because there are people who agree or disagree with whoever who don't want to speak out because they have something to lose more so than the people who are speaking out. And that needs, to, but, 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 but even that needs to then be addressed in terms of, well, what kind of society do we have if that's the case? 
I don't, I'm not trying to get anybody fired. You can disagree with me till the cows come out. It doesn't bother me. And you shouldn't lose your job over it. But that's not the world the left has created and all these lives of others minders that, you know, are middle management at the big tech companies. So it's a little bit more complicated. But at least you have, I mean, even though I don't agree with Tristan Harris, who was at Google for a while before he founded the Center for Humane Technology, trying to get people to come forward in big tech and reform it from inside, but he ultimately believes the federal government needs to step in. Even though I don't agree with his some of his remedies, I do appreciate that he's calling these social media companies out that are like all about, you know, making the world a better place. And, and you know, that's not at all what they're about. Facebook isn't saying, let me make design decisions that are going to strengthen democracy. They're saying, how do I evolve the product in a direction that will get more engagement from people? Because if I don't do that, I'm just going to lose to the companies that do. Companies like TikTok. Companies like TikTok. And uh, here's where we get to something really interesting. And this was a value add because I didn't know this um, until I watched this piece. You know, TikTok is owned by ByteDance, which is a Chicom company. And so what TikTok knows about their platform and about the West that we don't. Very interesting. Take a listen. In their version of TikTok, if you're under 14 years old, they show you science experiments you can do at home, museum exhibits, patriotism videos, and educational videos. And... They also limit it to only 40 minutes per day. Now, they don't ship that version of TikTok to the rest of the world. So it's almost like they recognize that technology is influencing kids' development, and they make their domestic version a spinach version of TikTok, while they ship the opium version to the rest of the world. Did not know that. And the result? There's a survey of preteens in the U.S. and China asking, what is the most aspirational career that you want to have. And the U.S., the number one was influencer. Social media influencer. And in China, the number one was astronaut. Again, you allow those two societies to play out for a few generations, I can tell you what your world is going to look like. Wow, that's fascinating. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. They're controlling the narrative. They're going to take over the world. Let, let, uh, Let the West... Promote the self-indulgent. Let it feed its garbage culture. Uh, But here at home, we're going to put the clamps down. The spinach version versus the opium version. And I'm not, by the way, endorsing the CHICOM approach here. And I'm not endorsing what's been proposed by some on the Hill to ban TikTok. But at least let's know what we're talking about to frame the conversation about what should and shouldn't be done. Here's Tristan Harris's closing argument. The most powerful artificial intelligence in the world pointed at your brainstem to show you the most enraging content on a daily basis, and the longer you scroll, the more you get. We have never done that before. I think we have to do with social media what happened with Big Tobacco. What stopped Big Tobacco was that the attorneys general in different states actually went after them. The attorneys general in Big Tobacco had an enormous role to play in litigating that there was harms to people and their families. Is that what it's going to take with I think that's what's going to social take media with social companies? media companies? Yes. And we're seeing attorneys general move already one step in that direction. 
attorneys general in at least eight states are coordinating a nationwide investigation of social media platforms. We now know that there's all these harms in social media products designed for engagement. We've done it before. We did it with seatbelts. We've done it with big tobacco. We've taken lead out of gasoline. We have made these changes once we recognize that certain products were toxic for us. We can do it again. Should we do it again? Should we treat social media companies like TikTok or Twitter or Facebook? Should we treat them like big tobacco? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Jason Northlake. Well, the first thing I was going to say is that as far as the left freaking out about disinformation and influence and stuff, is that they know that they were doing that to us back in the previous elections. So they're saying the quiet quiet part out loud. And then to your next question, as far as should government get into regulation, absolutely not. But I'm not opposed to necessarily, you know, public service announcements or, you know, trying to encourage people to, you know, to the harms of TikTok or what have you and social media. But no, for the government to crack down and try to ban stuff or do that, that's, that's authoritarian in its in its truest form. Thanks for the call, Jason. Sheila, Arlington Heights. Hey, Dan. Hello? Hello. Hey, I just want to say the, the left is succeeding by allowing these kind of social platforms to keep us dumb and numb. Dumb by not giving us the education and the truth that we need. And numb, they also put pot shops on every corner and closer to schools that Five years ago was never imagined. Thanks for the call, They're Sheila. Everywhere. Dumb and numb. Do they teach her? Are they teaching her kids to be intellectually curious, to be lifelong learners? Is that what's happening in K through twelve? Is that what's happening in K through twelve? Are they teaching them to right be navel gazing social media influencers or desirous of that sort of adulation without portfolio? But why can't we do what the TikTok's doing in China and, and replicate that here? And then maybe we'd have hope for a younger generation. Jacob, South Suburbs. Good morning, Dan. Um, I'm a school principal in the South Suburbs, and um, you struck a nerve with me when you played that clip of the guy who said that they have to, they generally are quiet in right. the uh, institutional stupidity. Right. Um, I've gone through four or five years of this CRT training down in the school district that I work at, and there's a number of us that to, it's self-preservation, quite honestly, to keep our jobs. We don't speak up in meetings. Well, wait a second. Hold on a second. You said you've gone through four or five years of CRT training. We know from Winnie Weingarten, we know from J.B. Pritzker that CRT is not in the schools, so you must be confused. Well, they, they use a different name, and I won't tell you what they call it, but yeah. it's still the same theory. We're sitting through professional development sponsored by MTV and having to pretend that it's a, a valid uh, a valid uh, training. Uh-huh. Wait, what do they call it? Uh-huh. Thanks for the call, Jacob. Dan and Wilmette. Social emotional learning. All sorts okay. of all sorts of euphemisms. Go ahead, Dan, I'm sorry. Okay. I have a son that works in Silicon Valley, very, very high up and real big high tech company. And the executives there will not let their children near an iPad. Mm-hmm. They consider it nothing more than a slot machine. Hmm. You know, interesting, interesting comparison. Thanks for the call. Dan. I mean, this is very much, you know, it's, it's, you know, what do they know? 
It's always the what do they know? So, you know, more than half of CPS teachers send their kids to private school. Right. The big pharma companies don't mandate the vax for their employees. Neither the does. big tech companies won't let their the company execs won't let their kids use their products. What do they know? Holly, St. Louis. Hey, good morning. I haven't talked to you guys in a while. Uh, I, I am cheering for Elon Musk, and I'll tell you why. I've had a big Twitter following before January 6th. It was my community with, with your radio station, connected with tons of people. Had I loved it. But after January 6th, I said goodbye, Jack, broke up with him, dumped Twitter. <laughs> I, can't, I got back on Twitter six to eight months later under an assumed name of fake fake everything, and I love it. And I'm cheering for Elon Musk because if I hear there's an earthquake, I I would in the past run and turn on the television and try and go to a you know look for information about. It. Now I just jump on Twitter in real time. I can see pictures. I can know everything. It is fascinating for that. If I want to know how many how many runs the Astros have scored at the bottom of the fourth, I jump on Twitter in one second. It is a it is a marvelous app for that. And I, I, I'm cheering for Elon Musk. But, you know, right today, Wall Street Journal, front headlines, Facebook parent prepares sweeping layoffs. So Facebook was eaten by Twitter, which was eaten by Instagram, which is being eaten by TikTok, which is going to be eaten by the next new thing. They're, they can't outrun themselves. They, they, there's no stopping this. Bring MySpace back. Yeah, thanks for the call, Holly. Bring Friendster back. Where's Friendster? The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Just a postscript on our discussion about that 60 Minutes piece on social media. Yeah. Wall Street Journal has a story out over the weekend. There is a uh, boarding school called the Buxton School in uh, Williamstown, Massachusetts. And uh, they've pulled the smartphones from the kids. They're about two months into this experiment of no smartphones, no smartphones for the kids, and the teachers have agreed not to use them either. They've got, like, these minimalist phones for for, uh, minor communication. And uh, there was a lot of hue and cry, as you could imagine, when the order first came down. But now it was it's interesting to read these high school kids' reactions because they're sort of getting used to it. And they're sort of reengaging in the real world and with their fellow classmates. And a lot of them are not missing it. They're not missing the endless notifications and the pressure to respond to text and so on and so forth. So it's just interesting to see. Schools like this uh, school in Massachusetts experimenting and seeing if those results will be instructive and perhaps adopted by other schools. I love the idea. Well, for uh, speaking of schools, a big topic that broke over the weekend. We talked about a bit earlier in the show that uh, should inform people's votes tomorrow, starting at the gubernatorial level. This is the issue of mandating the COVID jab in order for your kid to go to school. So if you have kids in K through 12, you might want to perk up your ears because uh, Emma Woodhouse through a FOIA was able to obtain emails that indicate despite his public dithering on the issue and 
bobbing and weaving to the best he can in terms of what his position is. I'm talking about Governor Pritzker on mandating vaccines for school kids. The communications between the governor's office and the Illinois Department of, Health, Department of Public Health indicate that they are preparing to move in that direction of vax mandate, hold a few perfunctory hearings around the state and impose that vax mandate if this governor is reelected. For more on this and other topics, please be joined by State Senator Darren Bailey's running mate. She is Stephanie Trussell. She's his, his candidate and the Republican Party's candidate for lieutenant governor. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. So what about uh, this uh, uh, imposition of a vax mandate for K-12 through kids if Governor Pritzker is reelected? Well, we shouldn't be surprised that that's the direction he's going to go in. He's kind of followed the CDC and all these recommendations from the beginning. I mean, he still has emergency powers, and there are very few governors that are holding on to that power. Um, That's very disturbing, especially right before the election. I'm so excited that this came out to reveal exactly who he is because, you know, normally um, people that are about health freedom wouldn't necessarily be in the Republican tent. They would, you know, but all of a sudden they realize that, big government telling them what to put into their children, what to put on their faces, and basically taking over something that the parents should have the right to make those decisions. Um, I was very surprised when I took my son in for his senior year um, checkup, and um, and they, they asked me would, would I like to get him, you know, the shot, and I said, no, thank you, and I thought that would be the end of the discussion. It went on for about 10 minutes, him encouraging me that why he needed this, and and I was very uncomfortable with it. And I finally had to say to him, you know, 17 years ago, I brought him in the same hallway and you guys gave him four vaccines instead of two that my other kids got. And there, my son, Reagan, has Asperger's. He's um, on the spectrum, very high functioning. But there are a lot of people think that those many vaccinations at one time, I mean, there's theories that that causes kids to be on the spectrum. But I couldn't believe that we just couldn't move on to the next step in his examination. It was as if this guy was getting um you know, a kickback or something. And I said, this is so ridiculous that I'm being bullied here. And I said, you know, COVID's gone through our house a couple of times. Reagan has never gotten it. There's something about this kid. He's strong and healthy. Let's move on. And we have to remember what J.B. Pritzker did to us over the last two and a half years. Wow. Did that, I mean, are you surprised? Like, I feel like there's going to become a time when DCFS will be called if we don't get our kids boosted and vaccinated. It's unbelievable that things we took for granted and we always thought was just kind of ridiculous. This would never happen. You guys have shared stories of parents that have to go to court to see their kids because they didn't get vaccinated. I mean, this is just unbelievable, the overreach in in big government when it comes to to this issue. And as I tell people, you know, I'm just a high school graduate. And it broke my heart that I had to debate with people with master's degrees about the constitutionality of what they were doing during the COVID. I knew from my eighth grade constitution class that this was wrong and this was not what our founding fathers intended for our country. And it just blows me away again. Now, two and a half years later, we're still debating this issue. It's unbelievable. And so just to be clear, the position of a Bailey Trussell administration is no mandate. Oh, we will not mandate children or nothing in that area. That's just, you know, we have to remember that's how Darren Bailey got invited to the party. Two years ago, he was going to um, open Illinois, open the state rally, unmask our children rallies. People met him long before he became um, a candidate for governor. He's on the front line. I I like to remind people that um, the three people that are near and dear to me 
and personally, uh, Keith P. Cow, who will be my congressman, um, uh, Attorney General, hopefully, Tom DeVore, and Darren Bailey, were the three very loud voices that stood up to J.B. Pritzker and said, you can't do that. And the fact that they won the primary says a lot to me that Illinois, are, moms and dads are behind them. And uh, as you uh, travel around the state, uh, in, including in these closing days, um, how pronounced is the issue of personal safety and, of course, the Pritzker Purge Law, the implications of the Pritzker Purge Law for those who live outside of Chicago and Cook County? You're a suburbanite. You're in DuPage County. Uh, what do you what do you think in terms of personal safety being a driver of a revolt against Governor Pritzker? Well, you know, when my radio career ended, guys, all I played for was another opportunity to be on the radio. And God decided that I need to get out of the studio and travel this wonderful state. And I've been to over 100, probably 100 counties, probably all 102 at this point. I remember a state's attorney going out of her way to come and meet me at a bus stop um, in downstate. I can't even tell you what the name of the town. And this was before the primary, just talking about the issues that she was concerned about in her tiny town. And we kind of think those issues only... You know, that, that's a Chicago air, a issue or a Peoria or something. This was a tiny town where the state's attorney was saying what the, the um, unsafety act would do to her county and, and just all the issues. And when I wake up on, you know, every Monday morning and I turn to you guys and I'm watching the news and they talk about how many shot, how many killed, I remind people in my community when I go speak to them that disproportionately it's black people that are harmed by these policies, the lack of supporting the policemen. And, you know, unfortunately, we disproportionately hurt by all the policies of the Democrat Party. You know, I was the only one on the ticket in the primary for governor and lieutenant governor that was actually born and raised in Chicago. Remember how wonderful it was. I could take my McDonald's paycheck, walk four blocks and spend my money in my community on, on, on um, I'm sorry, Madison and Pulaski. Every store that was on State Street, with the exception of Marshall Fields, was represented in my community. And recently I had a press conference in that area. The only people making money over there are the drug dealers that are open air selling drugs like it's legal. And, and the grocery stores that I used to go to have been replaced with um, empty lots filled with garbage, graffiti everywhere. And, these, you know, my mom sacrificing since us to private school, but my, my friends all went to the public schools, Goldblatt's and Melody schools that I used to walk past on the way to my private school. They're all shuttered now. This is unbelievable after how many decades of loyalty voting for the Democrat Party that um, we, we still have to go out and convince people that, hey, we need, if you want something different, we've got to do something different. And for the first time in a long time, we have a, a, just a stark difference in, in, in your selection, especially at the top of the ticket. But you know what I've learned, though? Um, this cycle is very different from other cycles. There's so many Republicans running in seats that normally no one would ever challenge the Democrats. There's so many Republicans that never voted in primary, and, and suddenly they're very involved. It's almost like the Tea Party Part 2, where people are getting involved and saying, wait a minute, we're so close, and, and they just decided, you know, if not now, when? It's time for me to do something. Well, Stephanie, you've spent a, a lot of time, obviously, with, with Darren Bailey, the state senator. What have you learned about him as a candidate? What have you learned about him as a man? You know, it's so funny. On my first interview, my husband and I went downtown to meet he and Cindy for an hour and 45 minutes. We got to know each other. And I remember driving home last June of 2021 with my husband, and I thought, there's no way they're going to pick me. It's a lot of people, and that's okay. But I knew I was committed to not only supporting him but working for him and um, just volunteering and doing whatever I can. As I watch him interact with people, 
I, I, I'm just drawn to the fact that something about him, I wrote a post about this a couple of months ago about how he has the it factor. Kids love him. People love him. I tell everyone, if you just spend five minutes with Darren Bailey, he's, he's, he's so genuine and his integrity just comes through. I, I'm jealous of them. You know, I have five kids. They have four, but they have 12 grandkids. They got a lot of catching up to do. And just to see um, their family and interact with them. And I'm telling you, just spending time down there on the farm with them, it's just like, wow. And, and people wonder, how could a, a southern farmer even know about a, a fast-talking grandma from the west side of Chicago that had a radio show? And I'm just so blessed that um, David Smith of Illinois Family Institute, when Darren said, hey, who should I interview? And the first name that came out of his mouth was mine. And he and David and I are good friends. He had, we have never talked about me running for um, office, but this has been such a humbling experience for me to travel south of 80 and just really fall in love with this wonderful state. Unfortunately, when I travel all these counties, people are so eager to show me around, and they'll say, oh, that we used to produce that here. That factory was, and their downtowns look like abandoned movie sets. And it's just so sad that we used to be this wonderful place, and now we've turned into a museum of what, of yesterday. And I know that we can make Illinois great again. I know that we can get rid of the bad leaders and keep the good people that live here. All right. She is Stephanie Trussell, Republican candidate for lieutenant governor, writing with State Senator Darren Bailey. Of course, Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Good luck tomorrow. Always my pleasure. Really quick, Dan, before I go, I never had the courage to say this, but when I ran that, won the contest 10 years ago, you were the person that treated me like a peer from the very beginning. And without naming names, there were some people that weren't thrilled that this silly housewife had won this contest. But within a couple of months, you allowed me to fill in with you. And since that time, you've always treated me with so much respect. And I just never, I've told this story a million times to everyone else, but I've never had a chance to just thank you on air for um, just helping me, um, you know, fit in over there. And it was a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much for that. You know, and I appreciate that because I've been trying to convince Amy for a long time what a wonderful person I am. And uh, I don't think she believes me. Yeah, I don't think she believes me. You're my new Don Wade. I I wake up to you guys every day. And it's just such a pleasure to have you guys, um, you know, just let me know if it's okay to get out of bed. I'm just, you know, okay, they said, okay, this is what's happening. Okay, it's going to be a good day, or we know what we need to do today. So thank you guys again. Yeah, of course. Uh, that For those of you who don't know, Stephanie was the first winner of this talk star American Idol type program we yeah. did back when I was at WLS, and that's what she's referring to. And then that spawned her being on the air until she left to be a candidate for, I did the opposite. I was a candidate, then I got on the air. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You, I don't know which is yeah, better. You said you you said you got mad at your money and decided to run. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That. Yeah. I'm never gonna let that happen again. Uh, all right, <laughs> Stephanie Trussell, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey dot pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, I want you to hear from these two cardiologists again. We played earlier in the show talking about uh, the likelihood that if Governor Pritzker is reelected tomorrow, there will be a vax mandate imposed on your kids if you have kids in the public schools, K through 12 in Illinois. And of course, we see the same mandates being imposed by other COVIDian politicians around the country. 
and being cheered by COVIDians in D.C. This is uh, Dr. Asim Malhortra, who is a cardiologist, a well-regarded cardiologist, maybe at least until recently when he called for a halt in the U.K. where he practices, and he's a consultant to the National Health Service in Britain, called for a halt on the COVID vaccines. And here's why. It is my duty and responsibility as a consultant cardiologist and public health campaigner to urgently inform doctors, patients and members of the public that the COVID mRNA vaccine has likely played a significant role or been a primary cause of unexpected cardiac arrests, heart attacks, strokes, cardiac arrhythmias and heart failure since 2021 until proven otherwise. Until proven otherwise. And uh, Dr. Peter McCullough who also was a well-regarded cardiologist until he, until he started speaking out against COVIDian orthodoxy on the topic of vaccines and things like natural immunity. Now he's having his credentials challenged by the, internal, uh, by the Board of Internal Medicine in Texas, where he practices. Uh, he said the same thing, specifically with respect to young people, because, of course, they are not a particularly at-risk group. Here's what Dr. Peter McCullough said. 200 papers showing that the myocarditis causes heart damage and a scar, and then the scar becomes the basis for a cardiac arrhythmia, and then the arrhythmia is responsible for the sudden death that we're seeing, and we're seeing sudden death now on a massive scale in younger people. Um, It's my view. It's the COVID-19 vaccine until proven otherwise. Until proven otherwise. There's that phrase again. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Aaron Cariotti, psychiatrist, director of the program in bioethics and American democracy at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in D.C., and director of the Health and Human Flourishing Program at the Zephyr Institute in Palo Alto, California. He had been the director of uh, medical ethics at UCI Health, um, University of California, Irvine School of Medicine, until he was fired in December of 2021 for refusing to comply with the school's COVID vaccine mandate. Dr. Cariotti, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan and Amy. It's great to be with you. I I understand from reading a review of your new book, by the way, which I should mention, the new book, The New Abnormal, The Rise of the Biomedical Security State. I read a review of your book at First Things, and um, I understand that even though you are a committed Catholic, uh, when it came to the vaccine mandate at UC Irvine, you didn't challenge you didn't challenge it based on your faith you didn't seek a religious exemption you challenged it based on the science that's correct um, my challenge to the vaccine mandate which by the way is still in federal court in the Ninth Circuit uh, was based on the argument that people like me with natural immunity have immunity that was just as good in fact now we know it's superior to the immunity conferred by the vaccine. And so it was a medical argument. It was an argument based on the medical science that we had at the time, and that is even stronger today. And uh, the CDC finally caught up to the science and about a month ago endorsed my central claim in the lawsuit, in fact, which is that we shouldn't discriminate between vaccinated and unvaccinated because natural immunity is robust and long-lasting. And because the vaccines don't stop infection and transmission, which is precisely the case I made in in federal court. So we're waiting on an appellate judge to be assigned that I 
I anticipate a good outcome from that case. But instead of waiting for a, a ruling from the courts on my claims, the university proceeded uh, almost immediately to place me on unpaid suspension. That was about a year ago. And then a month later, they they fired me last, last December for alleged noncompliance with their vaccine mandate. Why, why was natural immunity ignored by the CDC for so long? Well, I quipped on Twitter that uh, the CDC and public health authorities would acknowledge natural immunity when we could find a way to monetize it. And <laughs> what I meant by that is at the time when I filed the lawsuit, roughly 50% of Americans uh, had natural immunity. Now that is closer to 85, 90%. You know, vaccinated and unvaccinated alike have have gotten COVID. Uh, But the mRNA vaccines have been a $100 billion industry uh, last year alone. And so you take $100 billion and you divide it in half because suddenly half the population doesn't need your product anymore. There's an enormous amount of money at stake. And that money buys a lot of advertising. That money buys a lot of influence. Uh, in mainstream media, uh, that money, in fact, buys a lot of politicians. And so, you know, I think, I think that's one of the reasons. The, the other reason is natural immunity is not something that the public health authorities can control. And uh, acknowledging natural immunity would have been an admission of their COVID policy failures in their own eyes. Uh, because for a year we were locked down, schools were closed, we had plastic barriers, we had six feet of social distancing, we had mask mandates. And in spite of that, a majority of Americans still got COVID, uh, which suggests that those things did not work to stop the spread of COVID. So rather than acknowledging that those interventions were ineffective, um, and rather than acknowledging that the vaccines are not stopping infection and transmission, the public health authorities just sort of double, doubled down on those measures. And I, I think those and, 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 and other non-scientific reasons are, are the real reason that it took the CDC so long to finally acknowledge Biology 101, which is the immunity conferred by an infection is always going to be superior to the vaccine because that's precisely what the vaccine is trying to imitate uh, is trying to achieve uh, and get as close to that as possible. Natural immunity is the gold standard for vaccines. And so uh, what happens next with uh, vax mandates still in effect and and will be in effect for K through 12 school systems, as we're discussing here in Illinois, as you are continuing to witness the defenestration of doctors that dare disagree with the, you know, COVID authorities uh, at CDC uh, what, what, what happens next? What is this uh, experience over the last three years a gateway to, in your view? Yeah, so I talk about it in the New Abnormal book that, in a sense, COVID was just the beginning. We saw this whole new infrastructure, uh, several of, uh, of the elements of that you just mentioned. It was rolled out during the pandemic for the control and monitoring and surveillance of population, for the c- control of the flow of information through censorship. And even though some of the COVID policies have been temporarily rolled back, this whole infrastructure, what I call the biomedical security state, is just waiting for the next declared public health crisis or public health emergency. And we've already seen 
efforts to kind of reframe the next pathogen to come down the pike as, you know, the reason that we need more mandates, uh, more rigid social controls. The, the people who have accrued power during the pandemic are going to be very reluctant to relinquish it. That's why we're still operating under a state of emergency at the federal level, for example. Uh, President Biden announced about a month ago in 60 Minutes that the pandemic was over, which was true. And in fact, it had been over for a while. But then his advisors suddenly panicked and uh, tried to walk that statement back. The reason is they knew that if the pandemic is over, then the federal state of emergency uh, uh-huh. needs to be sundowned. But that's the legal mechanism that allowed for uh, the executive branch to gain so much control during the pandemic. In fact, the president himself gains 128 additional extra constitutional powers during a declared state of emergency. So this new model of go- governance in, in what I call the new abnormal requires sort of jumping from one emergency to the next. And even we've seen efforts to reframe other issues as public health issues, whether it's racism, uh, during the George Floyd protests, which was declared a public health crisis climate change. Uh, by many public health officials, or climate change, which has been reframed from an environmental issue to a public health issue. So I think Americans need to wake up and realize you know, the next flu season is going to be just like the previous flu mm-hmm. season. Uh, racism is a, is a social and political issue, not a public health issue. Well, I, I don't know. Dr. Fauci was back on, you know, yesterday on the on the network TV and the cable station saying, oh, we get ready. We have another variant yeah. coming. You've got to get your flu okay, shot. You You've got to get the, you know, the bivariant shot. And uh, Governor Newsom is declaring a state of emergency until February. He said after February, after the flu season, then he'll he'll stop it with this nonsense. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, the, the Governor Newsom also accrues additional powers during the declared state of emergency, along with unelected public health bureaucrats. So um, so this has nothing to do with these pathogens or with public health. It has to do with, with power um, and, yeah. with, uh, and control. And, and this, uh, this soft despotism, it comes uh, packaged as uh, saving lives. And yeah. and, and when, when the rhetoric doesn't, necessarily meet the result, then we have calls, as we got last week from uh, Professor Emily Oster at Brown, calls for pandemic amnesty. Let bygones be bygones. Uh, yep. You know, mistakes were made. They made themselves. Let's not get into the business of holding people to account. Let's just get in the business of, uh, hey, uh, some some people had to make some tough calls. Maybe they worked out. Maybe they didn't. Who can really say? And let's get on with uh, Let's get on with it. Although, unlike a rubber band, the expansion of state power doesn't snap back. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. He is Aaron Cariotti. He's a doctor, psychiatrist, and the director of the program in bioethics and American democracy at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in D.C., director of the Health and Human Flourishing Program at the Zephyr Institute in Palo Alto, California. The new book, Pick It Up, uh, actually this book review I was mentioning from Francis Mayer uh, at First Things, um, pretty uh, high praise. Every few years, a book comes along like Patrick Deneen's Why Liberalism Failed or Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self that hits a cultural nerve and mustn't be ignored. The New Abnormal is just such a book. The New Abnormal, The Rise of the Biomedical Security State. Dr. Aaron Cariotti, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, and good luck with your lawsuit. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. 
Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. This is a good one. TikTok video, even though TikTok, we were talking about social media before. But nonetheless, uh, dude goes on TikTok in response to one of these uh, trans identitarians, trans species identitarians. A woman is explaining her use of frog pronouns. Yes. And uh, this led to a conversion story for this gentleman. I'm going to be teaching you how to use frog, frogs, pronouns, and sentences, so let's go. Yeah, that's it. I'm Republican now. <laughs> you win. <laughs> I'm done. I can't do it, right? I'm accepting, tolerant, inclusive, right? Whatever gender you want to identify as, binary, non-binary, but uh, not going to call people frogs. We draw the line at amphibians, <laughs> right? You can't identify as a frog because you're, you're not a frog. Right. You know that, though. Right. You weren't cursed by a witch in a Disney movie. Right. You don't hop lily pad to lily pad. Right. So I, I, to call you frogs or frog self would be, would be a little ridiculous. Right. So, yeah, I'm a Republican now. <laughs> MAGA, stop the steal. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's a oh, wonderful, he's all in. wonderful epiphany that he had. Uh, uh, another gentleman who decides that he does not want to align with the insane. Yes. Yeah. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Here's the uh, Dem Socialists' uh, closing argument, writ large, locally as well as nationally, as uh, best offered by, well, the man who gave us Mr. 10%, the big guy, Joe Biden. That would be House Dem Socialist Whip Jim Clyburn, Dem Socialist from South Carolina. He was on Fox News Sunday yesterday explaining how, well, explaining what's at stake. Nobody's saying the world is ended. You did the say there, though, ended. it could be the end of the world. The, no. Democracy will be ended. The world will continue to exist. The world was here before Hitler. The world was here after Hitler. That's what we're saying. No. The world will not end. The kind of world we have, the kind of country we have, we've got to decide how do we want to exist in this world. And that's what we're talking about. This hyperbole is not a part of what we are saying here. We're talking about what kind of country we have and what kind of world we have. Okay, Congressman, just to be clear, though, I want to read your quote. It says, but losing this democracy could very well be the end of the world. That's a direct quote from you. (laughs) End of the world? Oh, Come on. Come on. That's crazy. Who would say something like that? Oh, I I did. Oh, no, no. I wouldn't say something crazy like that. What I meant was... It's not the end of the world. It's just the end of democracy. American democracy. Oh, is that all? I'm so sick of how hearing our democracy is at stake. I mean, President Biden said the word democracy 37 plus times in 21 minutes. And everyone here is picking up on it, too. And they had this stupid press conference saying our democracy is at stake. I'm glad they're picking up on it because that's their closing argument. Well, then, well, they're saying we might not have secure elections and Chicago police are going to be out at polling places tomorrow. And what's the. Uh, uh, OK, no, no. What's I mean, just, the just, 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 just. 
silliness. Yeah. Is there anything sillier than Chicago Democrats telling us about ballot security in Cook County? I mean, are you? Are you this is this is this is a this is a second city skit. Right. These are not serious people. We haven't had any Chicago specific threats to our election. Well, then, then yeah, why, we, have, we, why have we Chicago, know because no, we have not. Chicago specific threats. It's called the Democratic Party. That's the Chicago specific threat to free and fair elections in Cook County. I mean, it's just it's I mean, just all gonna, silly. They're not going to patrol our streets tomorrow, and so they're going to be patrolling polling places. They're not. It's just all silly. It's such lies. I mean, we're, we have uh, okay. 946 polling places. Give me a break. Uh, okay. Okay. Get, get beyond the stuff that is just this, like, laugh track fodder. Uh, so that's what their closing argument is, and good. Let them make it. And here's the reaction that that closing argument is going to generate. I agree with Victor Davis Hanson about this. Because it really hasn't changed much since 2016. The run-up to 2016 and Trump's surprise victory to most really hasn't changed that much. In fact, in many respects, it's gotten worse as those in power of institutions that have failed to provide better for people have turned their sights on those people who are not falling in line. So that just exacerbates the revolt. And I think you're going to see it present itself tomorrow. So if you don't vote for a Democrat, you destroy democracy. And every woman in the United States has a constitutional right to have an abortion to the last minute before birth. And Donald Trump and his supporters, half the country, are fascists. And the only good thing out of this toxic two years that we've endured, we lab rats from these mad scientists, is that in a, in a weird way they brought people together, Tucker. They, been, there's a new ecumenical movement of African-American males, Hispanics, and the white working class that detest these bicoastal elites. Yeah. And they're starting to look at class concerns rather than these racial differences. And just the, the, the antipathy toward these left-wing elites has created a consensus that I haven't seen in my lifetime, but I think we're going to be shocked next Tuesday when it roars. It's going to be a mouse. <laughs> it's going to roar, and they're not ready for it, and that's why they're panicking. They don't know what to do. The mouse that roared, great Peter Sellers movie, by the way. Uh, that was Victor Davis Hanson on Tucker on Friday night. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if there are enough center-right voters left in places like Illinois or New York, but I think you're going to see a reckoning tomorrow. I think you're going to see a spread, as I mentioned last week, in terms of the popular vote that uh, is reminiscent of 2010, is reminiscent of 1994 for Republicans. And so you're going to see a takeover of the House for sure. That's been a fait accompli for a long time. But you're going to see a takeover of the Senate, too. And you're going to be talking about 54 seats, 55 seats. You're not going to be talking about 50 or 51 seats. I'll tell you that right now. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. But here? I don't know. I don't know. I think those whose eyes are like piss holes in the snow uh, will not go easily. So much institutional inertia in their favor. And again, so many fewer center-right voters than there were even a cycle or two ago in Illinois. Same thing in New York. You don't forget, uh, Manhattan lost 6% of its population just during the pandemic, during the shutdowns. That's a big deal. And now more people are leaving because of crime. Yeah, and uh, 
you know, who who's leaving? Well, people who have a center-right perspective. John Cass uh, wrote at johncassnews.com about this uh, hit piece on me that uh, was pulled together by uh, Rick Pearson, who uh, was able to crawl out of a bottle long enough to, uh, with the aid of Jeremy Gorner, write this hit piece on me about uh, allegations of, of uh, uh, illegal coordination with the Bailey campaign. It's frivolous nonsense. Fodder for uh, Jelly Belly to demagogue over the weekend, which he did. Yeah. The picture they used was striking. I, I did I appreciate mean, that. that. Was, yeah. They used a picture of you from 2010. I do. I and would, you look a little creepy best. Was, was I ever you, that young? Was you... uh, John Cass uh, noted that picture, too, because the picture is of me and John sitting at Valare having lunch when I was running for governor. He interviewed all the Republican candidates. And uh, did pieces on each one of them, so that was my turn at the wheel. That would that so that was that picture taken from. And the caption, the caption in the picture is, you know, me seated with columnist. I know, <laughs> unnamed columnist. <laughs> and so Cass writes, "Who was that mystery columnist?" Uh-huh. Oh, it was me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he goes on to talk about uh, tomorrow here. And um, great reference that was uh, given to him by a guy who contributes to uh, to JohnCastNews.com, a guy named Michael Ledwith. Did you ever see the movie Get Carter with Michael Caine? Another good movie. I've given you two good movie recommendations now, just in the last three minutes. It's pretty good. Well, one I got from Cass, who got right, it from Ledwith. But, but I've already seen both of them. But anyway, yeah. Okay. The movie Get Carter. Yeah. Uh, it's There's a line in the film that applies to the unnamed paper that columnists used to work for, as well as the Chicago press corps, as well as the grotesque Chicago political structure that dominates the state. It also applies to Joe Biden, writes Cass, and and Fox. Is the scene I'm talking about, uh, Michael Caine, uh, is... Uh, a hitman named Jack Carter. He's at the racetrack. He runs into a man he detests. He slowly removes the detestable man's sunglasses, looks right him in, right, looks him right in the eyes. And Michael Caine, as Jack Carter says to this guy he detests, I'd almost forgotten what your eyes look like. Still the same. Piss holes in the snow. Wow. That's such a great line. I forgot That's about that good. line till Cass wrote about it. I forgot about that movie till Cass wrote about it. That's what it is, jaundiced, hollow. That's that's who these people are. But they're still around. They're still doing the same flacking for the same people they've been doing for as long as I've been on the planet. And Illinois and Chicago are infinitely worse for it. But I'll tell you, the most disturbing number that I've... Uh, seen this election cycle, nothing to do with head-to-head. Most disturbing number? What? Uh, some survey I did um, about two weeks ago. The right track, wrong track. Nationally, it's 80% of Americans who think the economy's on the wrong track. And normally, if you think the economy's on the wrong track, you think the country's on the wrong track because it's on the wrong track for you. 
not not a complicated calculus. No. In Illinois, the number I got, right track, wrong track, Illinois. Is Illinois on the right track or wrong track? Wrong track. That's a no-brainer. 48% said right track, 52% said wrong track. 48, are there that brainwashed? Let me just say again. That's some scary stuff there. Just say again, and we'll see. We'll see if there a coalition that Victor Davis Hanson referenced that's coming together nationally is visited upon Illinois. We'll see. And it will be enough. You get enough of a turnout downstate, and Bailey wins at least 65% of the downstate vote, and you have a lower turnout up here, and you have this uh, coalition that comes together. So, you, you know, you're talking instead of the usual 8 or 10% of the black vote, black men give Bailey 15 or 20%, and Latinos go, you know, 40% or better for the Republicans in this state like they're doing in a lot of other states. Then there's a pan- there's a chance. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of things have to happen, no question, because there just aren't the numbers, and because, and when I say they're not the numbers, it's not even a partisan affiliation. It's just they're not at the numbers to say what's happening here is not good, and it could be a lot better if we made different choices, and when it's a fifty fifty proposition, <laughs> where the country is a Four in five proposition. That's uh, it tells you something about what's happened to Illinois. It tells you just how many people are lost, just how difficult it is. And I would say the same thing, maybe to a slightly lesser extent in New York for Lee Zeldin. And as I said, you know, if you can't can't get people interested in their personal safety, then you know, okay, you win. I don't know what you think you won, but you win. Don't come crying to me when you get carjacked. And by the way, just on the despicable, despicable performance of the real fake news, these legacy news outlets that pretend to be news outlets as opposed to members of the comm shop for Pritzker and the status quo. All the, oh, fake this, fake news, fake news that was leveled um, in my direction. Did you see the cover page of the Sun-Times this weekend? Yeah, that was, I, I saw it yesterday because it was still on the stands and I could not the, believe it. The, the front, front page. page of the NPR Times, Sun-Times, which we pay for anyway, we finance anyway by force because it's owned by NPR. And it was owned by AFL-CIO before, but there's no conflict there. Still a legitimate news outlet. Not not compromise in any way. Okay, it's just a the a full page, full page. ad for to vote yes for the for Amendment One, the and public it's sector on the front union, and the back. It's a big wraparound. Full page. No, 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 no. That's not political. No, it's fine because there's in small type. It says this is a political advertisement. You put full page political advertisements on your co- on your front page. Since when do legitimate news outlets do that? Nothing to see here. Not legitimate. Nothing to see here. Okay. All right. You tweeted it out to at Dan Proft if you want to see it. Still waiting. Still waiting for someone to point to a story that we did in the many editions and the millions of copies that were distributed over the last three months. Still waiting for somebody to say that story was inaccurate. That was misinformation. That was incorrect. So one story. No, but you don't have to. You just say. Disagreement, fake news. 
because of the source fake news. You you're not to pay any attention to it. Avert your eyes to any issue to any uh, uh, outlet that presents content that runs afoul of orthodoxy here. The state run and a financed press corps in Illinois. Leslie in in uh in in a car. Leslie, you're on Chicago's yeah. morning. Hi, good morning, Dan and Amy. Yes, I'm in my car on my way to work. Um, I work in Chicago, but I live in the near west suburbs, and uh, my husband owns a business in Chicago, and I grew up in Chicago, so I used to love Chicago. Um, Not so much anymore, but um, I love you guys. I listen every morning. I love your intellect, your insight. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, The comment I wanted to make was... um, you, earlier you had said, you know, people don't know, and they're, like, surprised when you tell them things. Well, I can tell you that all of my coworkers don't listen to the news because they don't want to hear bad news, so they just don't listen. They don't pay attention. And all of um, my liberal friends listen to NPR, So, so, and they don't listen to anything else. So that's people just aren't tuning in. They aren't paying attention. They're listening listening to a single source. Um, and it's, it's so disheartening. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for what you do. Um, my husband and I appreciate you greatly. And um, my husband saw you and met you with, uh, when you were there with Dennis Prager. Uh, thank you so much for what you do. Thanks, Leslie. And, you know, one of the things, too, is turnout. And we're talking about what's the calculus to spring a, uh, an upset or upsets here. Turnout. I mean, there's uh, you can do the messaging, but you have to turn people out, and the party does. Every individual needs to be a geo, a mechanism for GOTV for get out the vote. Three hundred twenty thousand. I'll say it again: three hundred twenty thousand voters who voted Trump, and sixteen and twenty who did not vote at all in twenty eighteen. Can't win without them. Not in Illinois. Cannot do it. You got to turn people out. We get killed in early voting. This is sort of a national problem, and it's particularly acute in states like Illinois. Get killed with early voting and mail-in voting. They've been the the left has been socialized to get uh, get those votes in, start yep. winnowing down the universe, and just pound, pound, pound. Get those votes in, and get those votes in before anybody's even sort of tuning in to what's actually happening maybe considering doing something different because they realize the jails are about to be cleared out by this governor and this power structure. But, right, uh, my, votes, but my vote's already in. Yeah, that second people started voting before the second debate with Pritzker and Bailey. So you're going to have to turn I people mean, out. People are going to have to turn out and turn people out in big numbers tomorrow to overcome the deficit that all Republicans face from early voting. Greg LaGrange. Hey, good morning, guys. Oh, big, uh, big uh, shout out to Emma Woodhouse for getting that FOIA stuff out. That, that was fantastic. Yep, and it's a great hit. I, this is the perfect storm. We talk about it all the time: stupidity, corruption, and just flat out evil. Let's not look at Pritzker, Governor Pritzker, as a guy that's just bumbling along in his way. He's not a good guy. He's just not a good guy. And to mandate your kids to get this shot when statistically they're they're very, very, uh, they're not. Yeah, they're not. It's a low-risk group. group. Yeah, right. Right. And and, and every other country gets it except us. So I think the parents have to really make a tough call. To me, it's an easy call. You don't want to give your kids this shot. You just don't. So stand up to evil. 
Thanks, Greg. I mean, more kids die from the flu and RSV. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.